You're listening to another episode of the Anavivo podcast. Thank you for your time. Oh yeah, it's happening. We got the dancing in the seat going on. We're back. We're live. I've had two cups of coffee. I don't know how many cups of coffee you've had. I don't even know. Don't I lost even know. count. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Anavivo podcast, anavivo.com, Latin for upward living. I am here joined again, part number two of our special guest series with amazing friend, awesome mother, wonderful wife, godly woman, and also in this context, a fantastic real estate broker uh, and and realtor, National Association of Realtor, which is what we will be talking about this morning, is how to find a real estate agent or broker. And we talked about last week, if you haven't listened in order, if you're just joining us for the first time, go back and listen to the sweet intro by Rachel Bennett on um, what we did last week on if you want to become an agent, what to do and what to look for, the general generalities of that. And uh, and otherwise, this one is going to be devoted for all of you looking for an agent or broker and how to do that. And now I'm going to set this episode up by saying, first of all, thank you again for listening. We are not a professional podcast. So if you hear dogs in the background or children running down the hall or things like that, we are recording from my home studio on beautiful Woodby Island. So thank you for excusing the... Um, the chaos. The chaos. The chaos of life. The wonderful chaos of life. Uh, number two, point number two. As we go forward in this particular topic, you are listening, have probably purchased a home before or a property before or sold a property before. And so there's a lot of this that will make sense to you in how you relate to this and finding a real estate agent and broker. And there are folks listening that have purchased or bought uh, purchased or sold properties uh, for sale by owner as well, which we will touch on also. So keep your experiences in context with what we're going to say. Let us know if that sounds like your experience. And also um, re- recognize, and I, I need to say this with an asterisk, recognize that this is what we do full-time. Rachel is a full-time licensed real estate broker with Coldwell Banker. And I am a full-time licensed real estate broker with Compass Real Estate. And so this is our full-time job. We represent folks um, every day of the whole year and are in and out of 30 to 60 different homes, sometimes a week, sometimes a month, and we do this a lot. And so there's, there's a lot of this that we're sharing from our own experience as well that may not sound like what your experience was if you've done this one, two, three, 10, 15 times even. And so uh, keep that in your mind and context context as well. And lastly, I'll say um, some of this, which we will note in our conversation, is only pertinent for those living in Washington State, but that's very few and far between. We're going to talk a lot of the generalities here across the United States, but there are a few exceptions to the rule, which we will note in Washington State, starting with the difference between an agent and a broker. What is... I have uh, friends coming from uh, PCSing up Part of the military community from Florida, and they have real estate agents there that have helped them sell their home. And technically, by law, they are associate agents associated to a firm, uh, sometimes called affiliate agents. But in Washington, what is 
what does it mean when we say we're brokers or agents or all of that? <laughs> it's kind of confusing. <laughs> yes, I. there is a constant desire to have a uniform throughout the entire country terminology for this because it is very confusing that not all the states mash up together mm, with this. Right. But <laughs> yes, a broker and an agent here in Washington are the same things. It's mm -hmm. kind of, it's the entry level doing your own, being your own boss as a real estate agent. We call ourselves brokers here. Right. Um, that you can grow into becoming a managing broker mm. by having to study and take additional classes and then passing another exam. Mm -hmm. It's not a small, it's no small potatoes. You have to have several years in the industry to be able to do that as well. So if somebody says, I'm a managing broker, it's like, all right, I'm taking you seriously because <laughs> you put in some extra work to become that. Mm. And so, you know, people will be in the industry for 30 years, though, and never go that direction with it because they're happy where they are. They don't need it. Yeah. They, you know, they don't want to have people under them. They don't want to be in charge of anybody. They want to just be their own boss and mm -hmm. be themselves and that be it. That's probably the direction I will go. You'll see me a hundred years from now, probably still just broker. A hundred years from now. That's <laughs> yes, right. You heard I'm it here first. Fountain of youth. You know, I found it. So um yes. with that in mind, you know, after three years in the industry, I could become a managing broker now if I wanted to, but I don't. Mm. So um props to you though, Mr. Tim Miller, for becoming a managing broker. Yes, yeah. So that tell me terrifying. what was you had to do what? <laughs> How many hours of extra study did you? It's, or? it's not that bad. It's 90, another 90 okay. hours. Um, That's what I thought. But you can do it online. You know. Nice. We mentioned this in the last episode. The barrier to entry in real estate is very low. One of the lowest yes. <laughs> entries to, to any career field in uh, the United States. And uh, for good or for bad, but um, it is, every state has their own baseline of what is required. But in Washington state, you, you only need your GED and then you need to do your hours and your exam and, and then you're, you're an agent. And so, and you can't um, be a felon and yeah, you can't <laughs> be a felon. Right. Uh, and so there are some, some minimal requirements, but, but very minimal. And, um, and then you're a real estate agent. And then as you mentioned, yeah, a managing broker, we take our, our extra clock hour courses for that. And then we do another exam. Uh, two exams, a national and state, and then more fingerprinting to make sure that we're not on any criminal list or whatever, and then uh, and then we're a managing broker. But to your point, that is not a for those listening, not a corporate ladder structure. No. It's not a it's not a oh you've made it you're a managing broker like like you said you do your it's, time and it's totally dependent on how you want to run your company and you want to run it for the next hundred years as your yes. own. 1099 independent contractor and build out your network of clients and um, your family and friends that want to use you as a, as a fantastic broker and do that. And that is totally okay. There's nothing that says a managing broker is better than a normal broker. Um, the only difference being that as a managing broker, now I can run and manage other brokers. That's it. Yes. And so I, I think it's important to point out that, you know, if, if we were talking about a company structure, oh, you made it to VP. That makes sense. Like that's what you're going for as a, you know, you work at a bank, you're, you start at the teller position and you're working your way up to floor supervisor or shift supervisor, whatever, you know, there's this general idea of like, oh, I want to use her because she's got this other title. 
that's not the case in real estate. It, it's totally dependent on how you want to run the business. And we have fantastic brokers that have been doing this for 20 years that are that have been a broker since they got in and have stayed a broker and run it. And then there's yep. fantastic folks that have done their um, couple year, three year minimum and uh, and gotten their managing broker's license. And now they're managing other brokers and they're also fantastic. So as an industry with so many extroverts, I <laughs> feel <true>. like <laughs> so many of us feel a desire to also become mentors. Mm. And when you become, when you want to become a mentor, there's a lot of opportunities for you to use those leadership skills and mentorship skills yeah. when you become a managing broker, because then you are licensed to teach and guide others. Right. So if you are gifted in that area or you have the time and, or you want to step back out of sales more and be more of leading people and helping other people build their career and then maybe be in a hired position through a company, sure. there's a lot of hired yeah. positions as managing brokers out there as well. Mm -hmm. So depending on what company you're with in their structure. Right. Or if you wanted to start your own firm, you then have to go another level or open a franchise like we talked about in the last session right. and become a designated broker. A lot of other states, when they hear broker, they think of what we call a designated broker, mm. which is the big boss man or woman on top. They are the president. <laughs> they are the CEOs. They are the owners of the companies. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who are typically not doing sales at all anymore. Mm -hmm. um, they shouldn't be in most situations because we keep them so busy. They don't have time <laughs> for their own clients. It, um, if, you know, depending on the size of their company, if they're a very small boutique style office, they might have time to do their own sales. Yeah. But in most of my experiences, I have kept and my coworkers have all kept our designated brokers busy enough training us, teaching us extra because once we graduated from our online university, we needed to learn a whole lot more. And so they walked through the forms with us. They taught us classes. They're continuing to teach us classes and facilitate mm -hmm. finding us classes to continue our education. Right. The bar is low for entry, but it doesn't stay low to stay in. Mm, you have to keep point. on with continued education. Every other year, you're doing at least 30, hour clock out, mm -hmm. 30 hours of clock hours, either online or in person. You're constantly looking to grow. And so when you see somebody who's been in the industry for a few years, you can guarantee that they have not just done their 30 hours of or their 90 hours and gotten in and stayed there. They have probably put in several hundred hours of clock hours and mm -hmm. continued education. Yeah, that'll go actually into our first question here. But <clears throat> before we jump into that, I wanted to point out uh, something you mentioned. One or two things that you mentioned. One, <laughs> this is an industry dominated by extroverts or type A personalities. And that's why one of the reasons I started a podcast to save my wife from my introvert wife from all the talking I do. <laughs> and this is a great <laughs> outlet for that. So, um, but two, uh, part of that is with the industry dominated by folks, you want, you, you traditionally want agents or brokers who are that kind of leader or personality or not afraid to back down because they're going to be representing you in a fiduciary capacity in an, in a sale or a transaction that is one of the largest, if not the largest, of most people's lives. 80% yes. of folks who retire today rely on their real estate in the U.S., rely on their real estate as their source of retirement uh, or provision through equity or reverse mortgage or sale or whatever. And so there's a lot of uh, just your hard-earned money 
hard-earned time going into this that you want someone who's going to be a dominating person traditionally representing you on your side, fighting for you across the table from uh, another broker, another agent. Yes. And so that is, it is a helpful and it is a good thing. It can also be intimidating. And that's why we're going to get into what you want to look for specifically and how you don't just find a bully and yes. how you don't find a, someone who doesn't have that education or how you don't find, uh, how you avoid finding someone who um, has stopped and is just doing it for the money purposes. Cause that can be, there's a lot of that salesman side of things, the negative side of sales that you hear associated with sales people that are um, very pushy mm-hmm. or uneducated or uh, just greedy or have a mindset of uh, fear, scarcity that is driving them to focus on the close because they're incentivized by a commission from you as opposed to actually helping you in the future. And so one of the key things to vet that is relationships, Mm -hmm. which we will look at here in a little bit. But as we segue into this first question, I wanted to touch on what you had just mentioned about the different levels, the, the broker managing broker, designated broker, and then all of this continuing education. So we we hinted at this in the last episode for people looking to become brokers, but how there's so many designations and so many courses out there that people can take. We are required every other year, as you mentioned, to take 30 hours of clock hours and people, brokers, agents do that in uh, group settings because it's great for referrals and networking. Yes. Um, that's my favorite. Yeah. We tend to have lunch as well at those types of <laughs> they classes. And have food, which yes. is how do you, how do you get agents out of their busy schedule? Ah, offer them me- <laughs> meals. Coffee and food. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> the other way that I enjoy as a homebody is, uh, doing it online. And so you can kind of just knock out all 30 hours at once, which is helpful. <clears throat> and so, uh, but you, you do have to do this. You have to maintain that education, which is helpful. You want, as a client looking for uh, a broker agent, which we're using interchangeably here, you want someone who is continually educated in this market on the Fair Housing Act, the landlord-tenant laws, the whatever, so that when you ask a question, they're knowledgeable. They're representing you, again, in a fiduciary legal capacity, and mm-hmm. so you want them to be professional not just friendly. And We're so, limited lawyers is how, how I like to it. how we've been described. And I like that because we do have limitations. Mm-hmm. We get to fill in blanks. We are not <laughs> writing up contracts. Right. Other lawyers who are real lawyers have real filled lawyers. out, have written up these intensive documents that we have spent a lot of time studying and learning what every single line of these documents means. Mm-hmm. Some of it can be very gray. And you ha- and it's open a little bit to interpretation, sometimes to a lot of interpretation. Yeah. And we can get into some very deep, heated discussions about what that interpretation is. Sometimes we have to call the lawyer hotline and talk to Annie Fitzsimmons and say, hey, Annie, can you please explain this to us? And she has made a series of fantastic YouTube videos to help guide us in describing and explaining to our clients mm. what they are legally binding themselves to when we are filling in these blanks yeah, and yeah. what it means when we, you know, put what where. Right. And there are some that we get to freestyle right, which is a whole nother level of trust that the clients are putting into us because we are speaking for them as we fill these out and then they are signing to it. So right. yeah. 
having somebody who knows what each word they are then putting in that term and what it means and what it could imply meaning as well is huge. So you do want to have somebody knowledgeable and skillful at writing out their legalese. Right. So to that end, there are all these, outside of your continuing clock hours, there are all these designations that realtors, real estate professionals can get. Um, One example is the SRES, the Senior Residential Specialist, or one is a military specialist or um, accredited buyer's agent uh, representative. Or commercial real estate Commercial real estate, right. There's all these different little uh, two, three, four-letter codes (laughs) codes <laughs> that sometimes as a client, when you're looking somebody up online or you're meeting them for the first time and getting their business card, you'll see all these different little um, n- letters associated with their name. And you're like, man, I, I know what PhD, I know what CPA <laughs> means, but what are these after all of yours? So one, I want to ask you, Rachel, are these important designations to have? And how does an how does a client looking for an agent determine if if it is important if they what they mean and, and and how to find out because there's a lot of folks that have them myself included that don't list them anywhere and yeah. we just got them you know as part of our continuing education or whatever so what what are your thoughts on that guidance for our clients well, listening i think a lot of it depends on the client themselves is that designation important to you? Mm. Okay. I think somebody's transaction experience personally is more important to me than what seat behind a computer they've taken learning a class. <laughs> yeah. If somebody, anyone can go take a class and become a military location expert. Sure. But if they haven't done the transactions of actually helping somebody relocate, yeah. if yeah. they actually haven't put in the time to learn it hands-on right, and had success doing that, mm-hmm. And I've had happy clients at the end of that where everyone is celebrating and popping champagne or sparkling cider, then that designation doesn't mean anything to me. I want to see people's reviews. I want to see their time and how many transactions they may have done. Now, if they're a new agent, you know, we have to take that into consideration as well. They haven't had the time to get all those reviews and everything. Right. But if they are skillful and if they've put in the time, it should be backed up in the reviews and also... In their bio on their website, having a good bio that describes that they specialize in relocation, Mm -hmm. that is going to tell me, okay, I need to relocate. This person knows what they're doing. Yeah. And or if they're looking at, hey, I'm a senior citizen. So I need somebody who's going to help me find the right community with the right amenities and the right safety features close to hospitals, all of that. Yeah. No designation class is going to teach me how to become that for somebody. It's going to be hands-on learning seeking the right mentorship and just spending the time and learning my area. Right. So to summarize, the designations, while important, are not the end-all be-all. Exactly. Okay. I think the designations can help, especially a newer agent. One of the best things you can do is take all the classes you can. If we have a slower season, one of the best things we can do is to maintain our sharpness and take all the classes we can. Right. Those classes are going to tell us what we need to be looking for in our own communities yeah. to become the best we can be for our clients. Right. So they are very helpful, but they are not the end-all be-all, like you said. Right. Okay. Awesome. So you heard it here first. So there's, yeah, if you've got somebody's business card or a website and you see all these designations, you can Google them. Um, and you can also ask the ask the agent directly. 
Um, but as Rachel mentioned, they're not the end-all be-all. They're great for con- your continuing education classes. They're great for to maintain your your knowledge and your expertise. Uh, but really, and you, you touched on this, that the thing you're looking for as a client is the knowledge of the place and type of what you want to buy, which no no accreditation can teach you. So exactly being being that local guide really is yeah. what it sounds like. So having having that knowledge of the area, very geographically specific area to what you're looking for, or this is the second question now, the type of property. So yes. we've got we've got clients listening in that are buying equestrian property in Kentucky. We've got clients listening in that are buying uh, condos downtown Austin, Texas. We've got clients listening in that are uh, just PCS to Groton, Connecticut uh, for their new submarine um, tour of duty. <laughs> and so probably single family homes, you know, that they're looking for. And so uh, all of these different kinds of property, including land property and an investment property, commercial property, all of that thing, all that stuff, how are, how should they especially if, if the designations aren't important, how should they find then this broker or this agent in Groton, Connecticut? And what, how, do they, how do they search for local guide, <laughs> I guess is a there good There are <laughs> several ways to go about this. There's, you know, there are multiple avenues that can get you to your end goal, depending on, one, do you have a previous realtor in another state? And mm. are they connected to a good network to refer you to somebody specific. Mm-hmm. I know you and I have both been real referral partners with people all over the country. Right. And by and I tell my clients and I know you do the same, hey, if you want to find somebody in your local area, let me do the work for you. Right. Where we we look online. We know how to search. We know how to use Google and other search <laughs> engines to our benefit. We vet people. We know what kind yeah. of financing that buyer is going to be using. Mm. We know what kind of intricate details they're going to be looking for. And so we start making those calls and interviewing brokers of who we want to form a referral partnership with. Yeah. That is one of my favorite things to do for a client is become their matchmaker. Why is that incentivized for you? You're you're a good person, but if you weren't a good person, why is that? I mean, it has to pan out because I can't be putting one client here on hold that's going to produce a paycheck for me to be able to feed my family just to spend all my time matchmaking, even though that's one of my favorite things. (laughs) Um, What, incentivizes me is that by firming firming up a referral connection that client that other broker is going to give me a referral fee out of the commission at closing right right so i am incentivized to find them the very best person possible to walk them through that transaction because that person is going to help them actually reach their goals yeah if the person is you know kind of wishy-washy not going to be that great at it they're not going to get me a closing check at the end. Yeah. That client is going to go off to an open house and find their own person, right. which will lead into another way yeah. of finding the kind of agent you may want to work with is by casually going around to open houses before you're ready to seriously buy mm. and talking to the people who are hosting those and seeing if you have a connection with any of them. Yeah. I have met some of my favorite clients ever by hosting open houses <laughs> and um, and I just, I love it when we get to connect in a non-intensive way because most of the people who walk through an open house already have an agent. Sure. So I'm not sitting there hoping to get a new client, even though I always hope I get a new client. Right. I'm sitting there wanting to show a beautiful home to a bunch of families yeah. and help a colleague sell their listing. Or if it's my own listing, help my, my client, my seller 
find a buyer for this listing. Right. So I'm there for that purpose. But when something just naturally and organically comes of it, like a new friendship or a new business relationship, that's one of the best things that can happen out of an open house. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a low pressure way for somebody to kind of feel out a broker. Just a few weeks ago, I made a new client friend because I was just showing a house to them through the open house and they turned to each other at the end and they said, I think we found our agent. And it was like one of the happiest moments of my week. The music started playing I know. and birds were I was singing. Just like, ah. <laughs> yes. A happy union. <laughs> yes. And I'm very excited to get to work with them. They're already working with an excellent lender, Guild Mortgage, here in Oak Harbor, Washington. And oh, shout out. I yes. see. Nice. Yep. Got a shout out to, you know, all my referral partners. There you go. So Yep. And so it was exciting to you know, see that they were already pre-approved, all ready to go. They had already done yeah. a lot of their work, but they hadn't picked their real estate broker yet. Mm-hmm. And they had been looking around and trying to find one. So we were lucky, all of us, that it came just organically. Right. But let's say you're shy. You don't feel comfortable going to open houses. You don't have any idea what to Google. Well, here's some ideas of what you can Google. <laughs> <laughs> you, If you're looking for a specific type of property... Start looking at those listings. Mm. Look for listings. Mm-hmm. And then pull up some of these agents that show up on some of these sponsored ads and dig into who they are. Don't just call them. Mm. Look in their profiles. Look at their company websites. Yeah. Read their bios. Read their reviews. Mm-hmm. See how many sales they're doing. You might want somebody who has done hundreds of sales, but you might want somebody who has only done 20 sales. That person who has done 20 sales is still very knowledgeable, very skilled, because remember, all these continuing education classes that Mm -hmm. they have now had time to take. But also, that means they are spending a lot more of their time and attention on each client instead of trying to smash everything together. Or it's a a, a more nuanced or specific type of property. You know, they only got 20 beachfront sales versus 100. Only $24 million homes. Oh man, so shabby, (laughs) right? (laughs) Or whatever their their niche is. So it sounds like to summarize, you've got, you made three good points there. Um, For clients looking for brokers, one, they can just search engine them. Two, they can go to open houses. And three, they can ask their previous agent. Yeah. And so I, I like I like those three. I think there's value in all of those. And I would say to kind of summarize that summary, yes. <laughs> it really comes down to you as a client. Are you a busy professional that really wants a full service broker to do all this for you? Then probably ask an agent you've used before or um, you're not going to be walking around at open houses. You know, you're going to have people doing this. If you're a, a family who's moving for a job or the military, like in our community or something, you're probably going to ask an agent before you. You're going to ask or you're going to um, maybe go to some open houses if you've got time. If you're someone who is uh, more laid back or more shy, maybe as you mentioned, and wants to just search online, that's an option too. And so I, they each have their pros and cons. And before we go into the next question, let me touch on those real quick. So search engine, your pros are, and one of these you mentioned, um, is that you'll get a huge net of of agents but the downside is you could see a lot of sponsored ads and yes. the highest paying what you'll end up finding is just the highest paying advertiser yes. <laughs> not necessarily the best yep. broker so what i would do is find out who those that. listing agents are on these different properties skip past the sponsored ones as mm-hmm. much as you can okay. and see 
who is the listing agent on this property? Go to that company website, read up on that person, maybe read up on the other brokers in that company. Right, Right. Another thing to think about would be, are there some of these companies that you've had experiences with or heard good things about in other areas? And do they have a local branch here? Go on their website and start reading down the bios. Right, right. Look at the faces on their headshots and just kind of see like, okay, who looks like a trustworthy individual? Mm-hmm. Because that's another big <laughs> thing like is off their headshot. I know. For those of you who want to become deceiving. agents, listen to our last episode because we didn't touch on that. But marketing, <laughs> there is a big huge. thing, and how your how your stances and your yes. pose and your face and your background and is it a professional photo? <laughs> I know. You know, be careful about what you are posing with in your headshots. Yeah. It really does make a difference. I personally, before years before I ever got into real estate found my realtor by going on Zillow and looking at homes I wanted to see. And I was, my husband said, okay, we've got a young baby. You're going to be alone when I'm going on detachments through the Navy. You need to be comfortable Mm. alone with our real estate broker. He felt more comfortable with me being with a woman. That's a fair point. And so, you know, it wasn't that we wouldn't work with a man over this, but my husband much preferred that we call a woman. And so... One of the houses that we were going, wanting to see, like short notice see, happened to be a female and she looked young, close to my age. And, you know, so I just called her up and she was very outgoing and friendly and I instantly felt comfortable with her. Yeah. And so I didn't even read her reviews. I just went <laughs> off her face, looked nice. <laughs> so there, you, there you go, folks. So That was my a... personal experience before I knew how to find a real estate broker. Well, there's a lot to be said in that. There's a lot yeah. that goes into having that face connection, that eye-to-eye connection that we don't often get by reading reviews or looking at at websites and things like that. And having, that's a good point for, um, and tip for bio videos or things that showcase you and your personality as an agent or broker. For those of you that are interested in becoming agents, brokers, having that kind of content out there, but also for those of you looking, look Mm -hmm. at just past the face, go to their Facebook, go to their whatever social media, their website, see if they've got any, you know, YouTube videos or things like that that showcase who they are when they're not just in a static professional pose online. Yes. No, bio videos are a great way to market yourself as a broker to people so they kind of see who you are behind everything. Who what kind of human am I supporting their business? What are your core values? What are your core values? You know, there's certain things that we can agree to disagree on in this industry with our clients and brokers and still have a wonderful experience. But there's other things where you're like, okay, whose business do I want to support? Right. Because that's a huge part of it. You are supporting a local business yes. when you hire a real estate broker. Yeah, that's and, true. And, you know, I've, I've had several people choose me off of my bio video because they liked my little kiddo splashing in the mud puddles at the local park. <laughs> They're like, she's a mom. I want to work with a mom because yeah. I've got kids and yeah. I want that connection. Yeah. You know? And... We all have those kinds of experiences where people find us and there's something about us that they feel that connection to. Right. So don't become a secret agent and hide yourself away if you're a broker <laughs> listening in. Make yeah. yourself real and authentic. Right. Don't fake it. Be authentic. So we've got the search engine part of that covered. And we've got the the other aspect of that is the agent um, referring you that you've used before. But the, the third one that you mentioned... Um, now I'm drawing a blank. Wow, I'm looking up at my map. Was the I'm open house distracted by that? Yeah, the open, open house. I was looking at Columbia and I was thinking, yeah, Columbia, <laughs> uh, we should go there someday. Totally. <laughs> That's my ADHD part of my brain is totally okay. off in a different world. Um, 
So these open houses, yeah, that's a great, uh, great way to do it. So you're a client and you're looking for properties that you are already interested in, yeah, go to those typically. open houses. And there's a lot of Or walk junk. through a dream house here and there just for fun. <laughs> just That's for fun, okay. Yeah. There's a lot of junk and bias out there from HGTV and, and other uh, social media or, or lifestyle uh, um, inputs that cloud our judgment as buyers and sellers. And we think, oh, Zillow told me that my home is worth blank. And we're using the Zillow Zestimate which nobody reads the fine print, but has deviations of 11% to either side or whatever. And it's drastic. Very drastic. Yeah. Or they're using HGTV and look how easy or, or hard this is or whatever. The, the reality to all of this is step back and ask yourself the question of what do you want? What does you, do you and your partner want, your spouse or Whomever, if you've got, if you're a company and you're buying this as an LLC or, or whatever, if there are other people making the decision on what kind of property this, ask them what they want, come to some agreement, and then go shopping for these at these open houses. Look around the community that you're looking for, and whether you're there in person or whether you're not there in person. We have a lot of virtual open houses now, thanks to the 2020 uh, initiative for folks to be more efficient in their work work and life balance. And so um, you can do this from across the United States or across the world. And so there's ways to meet these agents like you, Rachel, in these open houses or these virtual open houses and um, and get to have that connection with that person. Now, one side note to that, and you, you mentioned this, is that you may also be the listing agent in this case. You do open houses for other colleagues that are listing the mm-hmm. home, but there's sometimes where you or, or people, definitely it's legal in Washington State to do your own open houses. So is there anything we need to look out for when it comes to that? When we're going to, if, yes. if I'm a client going to an open house, one, what do I need to, how do I need to keep my guard up? And two, what do I need to be asking? What are the, those kind of questions? If the listing broker is also hosting their own open house, it's a great idea to ask them up front if they are if they are the listing broker on this yeah. house or if they're hosting. Hey, Rachel, are you the listing broker of this house? Oh, no, I'm representing the exactly. listing or I'm here as a buyer's agent. Exactly. Or I'm here as, or yes, I am. Yeah. Exactly. Because one, you want to know, hey, I don't want to share with this listing broker my top dollar on this house if you're trying to come in with a competitive offer. Right. Two, you need to understand that that listing agent is going to be limited on what they're going to be able to share with you. Right. And so they, they have confidentiality agreements, they are licensed and they are required to hold the seller's confident information confident. Yeah. They cannot share with you the seller's, what the seller would be willing to go down to without the seller's permission. And they would probably have that in writing and then forward you an email. So (laughs) it's, you can't really squeeze them for a lot of information. So there's times when you have to be more careful about what you share with a listing agent who's hosting their open houses. Now, there are some listing agents out there who are great with the dance of dual agency, we call it, where that listing agent would also represent the buyer. In rare situations, it can go off very seamlessly. I personally do not practice dual agency. What I do instead, if I'm hosting my own open house, because sometimes my seller doesn't want somebody else hosting their open house. Sometimes right. they just want me in there because sure. I will have the most knowledge of the property to share with potential buyers. Right. But I don't necessarily want to do a dual agency either. So far, I have not done any. I have done instead 
called up a trusted colleague who mm-hmm. I knew would handle the transaction well, mm-hmm. and I have facilitated a matchmake between that new buyer and they're an agent to represent them exclusively. Right. So they can share confident information with each other. Then that agent can call me and we can negotiate on behalf of our clients together. And it tends to be a beautiful, wonderful, harmonious transaction because <laughs> two people who respect each other are negotiating with each other. Yeah. Still fighting hard for their clients and what their clients want. Mm-hmm. We don't get to make the decisions. We're just facilitating the conversations. Right. So... And we can do that in a very friendly, professional manner, even if we aren't coming together very well. Right. Sometimes we have to walk away from each other and just go, okay, see you next time. This isn't going to work out. And nobody's hurt because it's not personal. It's just part of the business (laughs) transaction. Right. But more often than not, when two brokers sit down with a plan of let's find something in the middle here where everyone is happy, everyone can work with this. Nobody feels like they're losing and, you know, we each go back to our clients and see what can you do? What are you willing to do? What are you okay with doing? Do you feel peace about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some there's some good opportunities there to interview your agent. Remember, you're hiring, you're paying for out of either the sale of your property if you're a seller or out of your pocket if you're the buyer or out of the net earnings as a buyer and sometimes from the sale also from the seller whatever, however the fees are structured, however compensation is structured, the agent is getting paid to represent you. And so you need to interview them as a professional, as you're going to this doctor. Are they the best doctor for this disease, for this symptom, for this whatever, like whatever the situation is. is a disease. <laughs> <laughs> whatever the situation is, you're interviewing this other professional that's going to get paid a lot of money to represent you, this is a great time at an open house to ask those questions and at the same time, keep your guard up just in case they are also the listening agent. And I say just in case because, as you mentioned, dual agency. So not a whole lot of states allow this anymore, but there are still some, including Washington, that allow dual agency, which means I am authorized by the state to represent both a seller and a buyer. And to me, and it sounds like to you as well, there's a little bit of ethical dilemma in that. Yes. And in, in that it seems like you're representing a husband and wife in a divorce case. Like is that mm-hmm. even is that even possible? Now to 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 give the agents listening in on this who have done dual agency before the benefit of the doubt. There are certain situations, as you mentioned, oh yeah. Where Some people can totally walk that okay. line so well. Right. And and, and, and we've seen them do it. And there's parties to the contract, the clients that are related or yeah. Or they're best friends, or they're part of the same club, or whatever. And they're saying, "Hey, hey, agent, I just need you to draft the contract. We, we outside of the contract have already agreed on the terms. We've agreed on all this. Like, we just need you to draft that. Great. Like, that's okay. But, but to have one buyer party and one seller party who don't know each other, who haven't agreed on this, to then come into an open house and say, "Oh yeah, we would. You seem knowledgeable. We'd like you to represent us. Be cautious that some agents." will do that. And and it is still law that they're required to disclose that to you. But this is a separate yeah. topic of ethics and law <laughs> because ethics. they don't always. It's just unfortunate. Or you find out halfway through that, oh, wait, you're representing the seller also or you're representing the buyer. Now, again, there's a law there and it's illegal. And so don't, 
You know, if you've got, if, if we, as an asterisk to this, if you're running into any legal uh, questions or things that are uh, illegal, definitely uh, let somebody know, <laughs> let the designated broker know. But And um, before but be you cautious. consider being a dual agent, if you are a real estate broker listening in on this, hit up Annie Fitzsimmons' videos if you're on in dual Washington. agency yeah. if you are in Washington State, because there are a lot of rules, even when it comes to the client's agreeing ahead of time on certain terms right right you have to provide real estate services you can't just fill out the contract so you've got to actually provide real estate services to both of them to even be a dual agent so you've got to there's so many like little intricate details that you've got to like you're gonna pay this person anyway right so yeah and they're gonna get paid the same why not use a different broker who's representing you exclusively i would say one of the times that i have had clients ask me to be willing to do dual agency, this is coming from the client and me saying I don't want to, is when they (laughs) have said like, look, if you were to bring the buyer to this, can we negotiate a little bit lower commission? Because we are almost just breaking even on this home. This is extremely financially straining on us to sell this home. That is when, depending on who the buyer was, then that they would actually be begging me to do it. And so that's, you know... It's one of those things where we haven't had to do that. We've been able to work out different ways of getting it done. You know, they were able to get a little bit higher purchase price for their home and be able to, you know, pay with confidence both parties to the transaction. Right. But it and but that took a lot of just holding them through that process and then saying, look, I've got a better way to do this for you. Yeah. And because of the market is here, I'm confident that we can get you this for your home. Right. We're going to negotiate very, this. Very specific, so it's very unique to very unique situations. Clients. So don't, yeah. don't so pursue it's not that a if no. you're not already doing that. Yes. And as a client walking into an open house, just remember that the person who's there could be a lackey of the listing agent. And by yep. lackey, I'm using a derogatory term, which means... Uh, brand new agent. I call them minions, personally. Minions or lackeys. (laughs) There's larger real estate teams out there that hire folks to get their license and then just use them as licensed assistants, essentially, that go and sit these open houses to take that kind of stuff off the agents, the real agent's plate. Not that they're not real agents, not that they're also not qualified in doing that kind of stuff, but they're typically, they're either not the best in their professional capacity and they're just essentially acting as an employee or... They're represent more importantly, the representative of the listing agent. And so walking into these open houses, make sure that they are totally unaffiliated with the listing agent. One. And then two, if they're not, just be cautious on what you ask and what you reveal. And even with if it's a buyer's agent, this bears repeating because we live in a day and age where there are ring cameras and nest cameras oh, and yes. Alexas and other things that are on. And you don't know how many times I've taken buyers through properties and they say something in the house thinking they're not being listened to. And there's, you know, all sorts of creepy people out there that have cameras on in their home that are doing all this recording or whatever. And they're listening to the conversations. And so you're saying something derogatory about, oh, this kitchen looks whatever, or, hey, we could do this and we could put this amount of down. And, you know, and it's, you're revealing your own uh, financial strategies or whatever on the property, just don't do that. Wait till we're all in the car. Or make sure it's all really strong stuff that makes a seller go, oh, yes, we want them to write an offer. <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> just be cautious that you're being watched. This all comes back to yes. and boils down to an, an integrity thing. Okay, so imagine you're, the seller is standing with you the whole time or a representative of the seller is standing with you the whole time. Even if they're not, just pretend that they are. 
treat it like your own property. Yes. Don't say anything you wouldn't want them to also hear. And and then when you're away from all that, then let's talk financial terms as a buyer. Yes. Now, this has all been from the point of a buyer. And we have one more term to talk about, finding an agent from the agent you've used before. And I think out of the three, looking online, going to open houses, and using the agent, that is the best and most preferred method possible. And that's why we run our company, Anavivo, in that way. This is a shameless plug for our consulting services. We consult with clients all over the nation, and we help them do all of this work. It's free for you. We are paid by the other broker, and it's a win-win-win because that broker's getting someone who wants and matches the niche market they're working in. We are getting paid by that broker, so it's an incentive for us to find you literally the best person. And it's free for you because you're paying the same amount to that other broker. Anyway, it's not an upcharge. They're not charging you more for it. Mm -hmm. our, we're getting paid a referral fee from that broker. So that's how we run our company here at Anavivo. And I think that is honestly, I'm, I'm biased, but it's that's the best way. And, yeah. and you're, the reason it's the best way is because one, we're in this industry, right? As we mentioned in the beginning, we know what to look for. We know what not to look for what to search, who to use, what how to vet it. But we've also, in this case, built out software that does all of that and takes all of that into consideration for brokers across the United States. And we're licensed, right? We can yeah. see transaction data that a client yes. cannot see online. So you mentioned, hey, look for reviews, look for what kind of properties they've listed before or sold. But one thing a client can't do is see the transaction data behind yes. the scenes on the MLS and say, wow, this agent submits a lot of offers that don't get accepted <laughs> or they submit <laughs> they submit a lot of offers that do or they do a lot of offers they only they don't yeah. do just 2 they do 20 in that market and that may in that particular market maybe 10 is really good or it's really maybe. bad you know and so whatever the case is the agent you know we can see that kind of stuff and help vet that person and again we're sticking our neck out on the line it's our reputation and it's our paycheck right so yes. we're incentivized to do and find the right and the best broker for you. And all yes. that takes is a call or an email to us from wherever you are in the United States. Say, Tim, please help me find a broker in Pensacola, Florida. Please help me find a broker in D.C., whatever. And Rachel can do that too. Yes. Any broker can do that. We we happen to run a company that just does that exclusively and, and does more referral than representation. But any licensed real estate broker here in Washington or anywhere else that you're working with, can do that and and not just can, but would love to because yes. especially if you loved working with them for whatever reason, like in your case, Rachel, you found this woman because you you and your husband wanted someone who was a woman. You wanted someone who would be okay with you having a bunch of kids around as you're going through a, a property to sell. You you clicked really well with that person. Ideally, you want her to find you someone who's just like her yes. wherever you're moving, right? Exactly. And so it's a it's a win win in that they're yep. gonna know what to look for on the professional side, but it's also a personality match, and there's a lot to be said for that. One of the big things about using somebody who an agent to find another agent in another area is we know what kinds of questions to ask that agent. Right. We know right. how to find out if they are if their local knowledge is up to the standard that we want for you, right. our client, our friend. We know how to find somebody who is familiar with the type of financing you want to do. Not everyone is familiar with a VA buyer transaction and right. doesn't know what the lender might need of them in the process. Right, right. So us who come, who are in a predominantly 
military community where we do, you know, the majority of our transactions are, are VA buyer transactions, it seems. Right. <laughs> it's for us, we know what kind of questions to ask that agent. Like, hey, do you work with VA buyers? And if they go, well, I haven't done a VA, but I've done FHA, you know, it's like there are a lot of similarities, but we might, you know, hold off and see if we can find somebody who has worked with a lender mm-hmm. for VA. We also are going to help them facilitate with a broker who can connect them with the right lender right, who can work right. them work their loan the right way for them cuz lenders are a lender here might not be licensed to lend on a home in that state. Yeah. Not all companies are nationwide. A lot of our local companies here are maybe just in a few states. Right. So or just Washington state. So you want to also find somebody who can help facilitate matching them with a lender who can get the sale done. Right, right. Yeah, so those are all good points. And I think the key takeaway from that is using an agent. Going to open houses, searching online, definitely good options. And if you don't know an agent, if you don't have one that you know, like, and trust to find you someone else where you're, wherever you're moving to, that's when you would call us and say, hey, I don't know anyone, or this is my first time. What do I need to be cautious of? Because again, I, we, we at this company are not incentivized to sell you anything. We're, we're not getting paid by you. We're getting paid by the broker we match you with. So we want to find the best person in downtown Austin or whatever you're looking for. And to your point, all of the things that go with that, the lenders, the appraisers, the escrow officers, the title companies, there's a lot, there's a reason we're called brokers. And we are relationship builders between all of these other professional companies. And it doesn't stop there. Painters, handy men or women, construction, I mean, everything. We are a broker, a, a go-between, a matchmaker between all of these different niched, very specific, and and best predominant uh, uh, services, and typically very geographically nuanced as well. And so yeah. you ask Rachel when she closes on a house, Rachel, great, we just closed. I need a new painter. She's going to give you three yeah. or four that she knows and that she likes. And, oh, by the way, she uses herself on her own property. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and so whatever that is, and title and escrow, lenders, all of these different relationships are we are going to build. And, and there's a lot of laws that go into that. And I want to transition this conversation now into the laws behind this as we as we head towards the close of this episode. There's a lot of laws that that restrict real estate agents in a particular area, in a county, by county, by state, even by city sometimes. And so what I can say as a real estate agent here in Island County, for example, uh, or the disclosure forms that I have to use are not necessarily the same in right across in Skagit County or whatever. And so when you're looking for someone who is a broker and you're Googling or you're looking online or you're going to open houses, if you haven't asked somebody, another agent to vet this person for you, be aware that they're are a lot of restrictive regulations on real estate agents. And, uh, and I say that in a good way in that we came from a from dark places. And you, you think <laughs> back to like 2008 where, you know, brokers, real estate brokers and lenders are, are giving each other free cars or whatever to send people their way. And there's a lot of rules, RESPA and, and different regulations and acts that govern different things we can do. And one of them for just an example is steering, is steering... Can you describe steering to us, Rachel, and is well, it, it sounds, allowed? It sounds a lot like it where you are saying, hey, go this direction. Mm. You are steering them. You are heading them in one specific direction. Yeah, client. We're steering clients into or away from 
specific neighborhoods, which is yes. legal. It is not legal. It's not legal. However, if somebody is looking for something specifically <laughs> in a neighborhood, I will tell them, hey, this community here has a lot of what you're looking for. Mm. I'm not going to put pressure on them to buy in that community, but I'm going to make them aware of local options. Right. I am also, as the local knowledge and expert, going to recommend that they do their research on yes. different communities yes. to find they need to be the ones doing this research, though. Right. They need to look on the police scanners and look and do some investigation. Right. You're not into, doing it for them. No, yeah. I'm not doing that for them because... If we look too it's deeply, it's against the law. First of it's all, it's against the law. But also, I mean, I could talk you into or out of any neighborhood anywhere if I felt like it. Right. But that's not what I'm here for. Right. I don't want to talk you into anything. I want to facilitate you finding the home or home life that you yeah. are currently dreaming of. Now, this isn't saying my dream is to have a million dollars on the beach, but I only can afford a 500k home. No, we're not going to find you a million dollar home. We're going to find that first stepping stone that might lead you eventually to finding that million dollar home. Right. But so within reason, my goal is to get you into the home that you want to celebrate life in. <laughs> and so it's, and that you're going to love. And maybe your dream is to have a total like flipper house situation so you can build your wealth. So it just, you know, your dreams are what matters here. Right. Not what I think needs to happen and, and this, not what how much I'm going to get paid at the end because right. that home is that neighborhood costs a lot more. Right, and and it came from a good background back in uh, the times when our deeds had racial um, restrictions yes. on them. There was a lot of uh, brokers that would steer clients into or out of different neighborhoods based on race or based yes. on poverty or based uh, on um, on your income is what I meant. And so there's a lot of different uh, rules and regulations that are, are so helpful and very, very good and for, for good purposes. But at the same time, as you mentioned, there are times when that can be restrictive. You're a client now. You're coming here to Woodby Island, and you're telling, you're saying, Rachel, where can I? What what neighborhood is the safest neighborhood? No crime. What what would be good for me as a mom with kids or a single mom, or what would be good for me as a remote worker, or what would be good for me as a person for a second home? And I'm going to leave my home here vacant for this amount of time, or or what yeah. uh, doesn't have you know this kind of um, uh, people in it, or whatever, like. Those are one. They're they're sometimes illegal questions to ask, but that we can't answer. But two, even if they're great questions to ask, and you want a home that matches your needs and what you're looking for, we are restricted for good reasons from steering you in those directions. Now, where this comes into play and how this can be beneficial is back to the agent referral method. You're finding an agent, right? That's the point of this episode. When you're looking for an agent. If you are doing this on your own, you are then maybe even unaware, uh, unaware, unawarely, what's the word? Maybe, maybe even doing so unaware, you are putting yourself under the restrictions of the agent you are interviewing, and you're asking them questions that they cannot answer. If you are using your previous agent, or if you don't have one and you're using our company to find you an agent, we can ask those questions because we're now acting as consultants. We are not a fiduciary. I'm not steering you into a neighborhood here on Woodby Island or away from a neighborhood. I am referring you to an agent who specializes in blank. And so in an example of Rachel's case, you can't ask me legally as a fiduciary to find you a this color person to be a real estate agent. I want this person or I want this religious person or I want this... 
um, yeah. uh, sexual orientation person. There's a lot of protected classes that we can't just steer you into. But if I'm referring you to an agent and you tell me, Tim, I'd really like a an agent who's a young mom with kids or is whatever, I can- t- It is I not can... a protected class to be a young mom with kids. <laughs> <laughs> Even the protected classes, yeah. as a non-fiduciary question, as someone who's not acting in a fiduciary capacity, and I'm referring you to someone in Kentucky, I'm going to find you the person who specializes in equestrian property, and it's it's not going it, to, it doesn't fall into a restricted class or a s- section where I'm then supposedly steering you to only equestrian properties or things like that. So there's a lot of leeway given to being a consultant that is, I can take off my real estate hat and say, okay, I'm no longer under the, the Washington state-specific DOL guidelines or whatever, and I can help actually truly help you. And Rachel can truly help you. And any agent that you know, like, and trust before can truly help you find another agent who matches exactly what you're looking for. And that's the benefit to using that method over any of these other methods is you're, you're not just stumbling across the internet and finding the highest paid advertiser when you're searching online. You're trusting that your agent is asking the right questions already and knows you and knows what you're looking for. And you're not putting yourself at risk at open houses by potential seller representatives or dual agents or things like that. And all of those things are also good things to do, but really coming down to your agent, the one you've used before, or a company service like us is the key to that. And calling Rachel and yes. saying, Rachel, help me find uh, an agent in wherever. And she gets paid for it. She'd be more than happy to do so. And and agents do that all the time. So that is kind of the cap, the overview cap of how to find and what to look for in a real estate agent with Closing comments by Rachel. One last comment to also that one thing that I was amiss in not saying this earlier is that one of the best things you can also do is reach out to your friends and family Mm. and ask them who have you had a wonderful experience with. Right. Don't ask them to bash on Facebook their (laughs) negative experiences because not everyone is everyone's cup of tea. Some people, you know, and we don't want to destroy anybody's business, you know, over that. But ask them... Who would you recommend? Yeah. Who yeah, did you have a phenomenal experience with? Because one of the best feelings ever as a real estate broker <laughs> is when somebody calls me up and says, hey, my friend or my sister worked with you and loved you. Mm. I want you to be my real estate broker. Yeah. You're, in t- you're walking into already an experience where you trust each other right, because right. of your previous experiences with their friends and family. So yeah, it's that's yeah. one of the best things you can do if you're connected with a local sphere of friends and family is to ask them, can you give me some recommendations of who you would trust right, right. to walk and, you through this again? And that's sort of a self-vetting process too because well, like we mentioned at the very beginning, real estate's a low barrier to entry. So how yeah. do I how do I self-vet away from there's 419 licensed real estate agents right? on this island. <laughs> okay. But it's a there's, much. there's 25, 26% of that are the folks that actually do all the business and do, do this all the time. So how do you navigate that? How do you find, and that's just here on this island. So right. how do you find that? And so doing that, going through that process, like you mentioned, and, and filtering it through your friends and family and people that you know have used them allows you to select a broker or even using our company and finding a broker allows you to to select a broker who is concerned 
about repeat business. And I cannot emphasize this enough. If you're in a big city like Seattle, it's tempting as an agent to just go through the contract, never talk to you again, and get another client the next day or whatever and and forget all about you. In three years, four years, you're ready to sell again. And why would you use that agent? They've never reached out to you ever. They don't have a continuing relationship with you. And and yet that same kind of stuff happens even here on an island where we're all a pretty local tight-knit community. Yeah. How many people actually stay up with or communicate with or are in a relationship with their past clients? And so if an agent is not in a relationship with their past clients, that should be a red flag because it means the eight, the clients themselves, they just didn't get along or the agent was not very good at maintaining a relationship and didn't care. And so um, if an agent isn't putting in the time to care for the folks that came to them in the first place and trusted them with their business and trusted them with a massive financial decision, there's you should be cautious about using that person and 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 be wary that they may just be treating you as a dollar sign. You're just a compensation for them, a commission check for them, as opposed to an ongoing relationship. And that ongoing relationship can look different. It doesn't mean that you're constantly getting together right. for barbecues. Right, you're not best friends it's necessarily. Because not everyone is going to connect on a friendship level as right. well as a business level. Right. But that business person should still be reaching out to you every now and then with just a quick phone call, a text, a, a note. How's your house doing? Here's you know, a quick CMA on what your home equity is like. Yes, this following is what up, like. you know, yep. mm-hmm. continuing to provide meaningful services right. in one way or the other. Like, hey, do you need any contractors? Is there anything I can help facilitate for you? Right, right. Do you have any questions? You know, here's the closing statement from escrow to help you with your taxes. Right. All yeah, those it, kinds of all things. All of those things definitely out. can be professional. I they don't have to be yep. best friend <laughs> barbecues. I want all my clients, I want to be their first phone call when they need anything done around their house. Right. If they want to hire anybody, no matter how weird and obscure it may be, <laughs> I want to be their first phone call. Because if I don't have three names of people in my phone who can do that particular detailed job for them, I don't. if it's weird, even better. Because I want that phone number <laughs> in my contacts from them on out for from then on out for the next person who might have that weird job needing to be done. Right. <laughs> so it's let me grow my network of contractors by doing the work and vetting contractors for you too. Right, right. Yeah. So uh, let's end this episode now for on, on two more points. One, what is the difference between, uh, we talked about an agent and broker, what's the difference between a real estate professional and a realtor? And, and does that matter? Should a client look for a realtor versus a just a real estate agent or broker? It can matter. Okay. It can matter greatly depending on the area you're living in and what are those local realtors versus real estate brokers doing. There are some wonderful benefits to becoming a realtor. We hold ourselves, we are legally bound to a higher standard of ethics because we have joined an organization. We are a large network and we have there's disciplinary actions that can what come is against that organization? us. The NIPSAR. Oh, that's our local. Yeah, our local organization is organization realtors. But then there's also National Association of Realtors. The, yeah, National so yeah. we are part of a you know nationwide network of realtors. So um, it 
we there are disciplinary actions that can come against us if we don't act ethical right. and if we are not representing our clients well. So if you see somebody with a designation of Realtor next to their name, in theory, <laughs> they <laughs> would be holding themselves and, you know, conducting themselves in the highest manner possible of professionalism when it comes mm-hmm. to managing your transactions. Right. Now, this doesn't mean they have to be a stuffy person in a business suit. If you want to show up in your Converse and jeans and want your Realtor to show up in their Converse and jeans, there's plenty of us out there who are going to show up more <laughs> casually than others. Then there's others who show up well in that really great suit. So not all of the men in suits or women in suits are stuffy. Let's just get that out there real quick. But there are plenty of them that are. Sounds like there's some stories there. <laughs> Lots. Too many. But... um. No, so that designation, Realtor, should mean something to you. We, who have that designation, myself included, pay a decent sum of money every year to this organization. They are also protecting our clients at Capitol Hill with local levies and and laws that are always trying to be passed. We want to make sure that our clients and our future as real estate brokers remains in the strongest position possible. We don't want local laws that are going to come against our clients and diminish their property values. We don't want local laws to make it difficult for real estate brokers to manage our transactions and protect our clients. Mm. We want laws that are going to benefit, not hinder. Mm. And so we are standing up asking them to put more laws in place in certain areas because Laws are important for structure and integrity and to make sure that people are protected when they're in their real estate transactions. Right. There's, you know, so that is a huge thing that the Realtor Associations are doing. They're also bringing classes and continued education to your communities and online. So there's a lot of benefits that the National Association of Realtors brings to the table that we wouldn't have without them. So it doesn't mean we need every single real estate agent out there to become a realtor in order to keep this going. Even you know those who don't have that designation are still going to hold themselves, if they're ethical people, to ethical standards. And there's plenty of people with the designation that you look at them and how they do their business and you go, how have you not been stripped of your designation? <laughs> so with that in mind, if your realtor does not conduct themselves well, there are complaint boards that you can go to. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, we... We should, I say should, because, you know, everyone out there, if you're not a good person, you're not going to do good things, even with designations behind your name. So Yeah, yeah. That, all, that all goes back to asking your previous agent or yep. using Anavivo to find you an agent is one of the best ways to, to find an agent wherever you're going, because your agent who's referring you will know if that agent they're referring you to is ethical or or is part of the National Association of Realtors or is not and what that looks like. But to your point, um, it, it's a lobby from a cynical, mm-hmm. I'll play, I'll play the cyn- cynicism side as someone who is typically against lobbies, large lobbies, <laughs> larger government, uh, organizations. <clears throat> it is a large lobby, one of the largest, the National Association of Realtors. And their whole purpose, uh, is to act on the behalf of their members, which are us as the real estate brokers. Um, and we do pay a large uh, amount of money every year uh, to our local chapters, NIPSAR in this case, the National Puget Sound Association of Realtors, or uh, in my case, the WIRE, the Woodby Island Association of Realtors. 
there's different chapters broken up yeah. <clears throat> underneath the underneath uh, NAR, the National Association of Realtors. Um, but to have that realtor with a little circle and a C, I think it is a copyright or is it an R? Yeah. <laughs> to have that to have that it's designation like is um, <laughs> requires you to be part of this. And to to the point as well, most large <clears throat> real estate brokerages, Compass and Coldwell included, require their members to be licensed realtors, not just real estate professionals. And so once you get your managing broker and, you know, you can, uh, like I could go off on my own and open up my own brokerage and be a designated broker and, and do my own thing and be a real estate professional. But if you're associated with a larger real estate company across the uh, the nation or, or even a larger uh, regional real estate company, most of them want you to be associated with the National Association of Realtors because it requires that we are take more classes, more mm-hmm. ethics classes, but also we're held to an ethical standard that just isn't there by the real estate professional. So as we're a, less of a liability for the firm that <laughs> we are hanging our license under if we're held to these higher standards. <laughs> and to your point, as a as a client, you can go to the board and file complaints against our licenses, which could which will have greater impact as well. And so also just one thing you need to know if when you're choosing a realtor or uh, an agent to represent you, you can fire them. If they are not yeah. representing you well, we are all very fireable. Oh, very now, <laughs> I would recommend you fire them before they write a contract for you because it's a whole lot messier once you've promised them a commission because of the contract that is signed and promised them. But if you show up and somebody starts showing you a few houses and no contracts have been signed yet, or even if a buyer's agency ha- contract has been signed, that is still able to be terminated. So yeah. Once somebody starts providing real estate services for you, like let's say you did find them just on Zillow and they look great. Zillow keeps showing them your the, the picture of this person and she looks awesome and she's a rock star. And so you but you start to look at houses with you and you realize this is not the kind of person I want to work with mm. or this person isn't actually showing up for me. You are not stuck working with that person any longer than you want to. You can fire them and go out and find somebody else. Yeah, so that's a good plug for our next two episodes we're going to do. We're going to do one specific to buyers and one specific to sellers. We're going to get a lot more in detail about that kind of stuff. Um, And I would encourage those of you listening to listen to both as obviously once you buy, you're no longer a buyer and you'll be a seller at some point. And as a seller, you'll be a buyer at some point. So we're going to get into those kind of details about the contract and the relationships that are nation specific, not just Washington specific. Uh, that way it's a, a good tools and tips for all of you as listening. And the last thing I wanted to end this, uh, is what about for sale by owner, um, sellers and folks looking buyers looking for, for sale by owner properties. So we talked about a lot finding this, this whole episode on how to find a real estate agent. What if you are against real estate you're a, a cynicist like me cynic cynical person maybe like you're me. just skeptical you're a skeptical person like me and <laughs> you don't like large associations like the national association of Real estate. okay i have to put a plug in for years i was not a realtor because i was totally against this mindset and this idea of stuff and i was a real estate professional and to your point it all comes down to the individual. The, the person themselves can be absolutely ethical and not be associated with the National Association of Realtors, 
and they can be associated with the National Association of Realtors and be totally unethical. So there's definitely, and that's how I viewed it, was like, okay, well, I'm an ethical person. Why am I going to pay all this money to people that don't do anything for me and don't whatever? And so there was a lot to that. But I ended up, one, my company required me to become a National Association (laughs) of Realtor member anyway. So I, I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. But then two... Uh, I realized there's, even though I know that I'm that person, obviously if I'm representing and and branding myself to clients across the nation, they don't know who I am, right? Unless we've had that conversation or or we're meeting from uh, mutual referrals. And so it is good. It, it never hurts to also have that designation. It hurts my pocketbook, but it doesn't hurt I will uh, say the image there. So it's a good thing. Just having the Washington State access to Annie Fitzsimmons, though, on mm. all of her free or complimentary legal advice that comes to us through National Association of Realtors right. here in NIPSAR, here in Washington, she is worth every penny I have paid into my dues <laughs> because she has taught me so much and protected me so much. She has brought classes. <laughs> She yeah. is doing her own video series, actually featuring my designated broker in a lot of her video series. Awesome. They sit down together and they have some really great conversations. Just having somebody like her yeah. teaching yeah. us how to not get sued is right. just worth every penny. <laughs> and it's, it's worth, worth it for it. my clients for me to pay for that just to protect them yes. from future lawsuits yes. as well. Yes. Awesome. So, well, I've said that now uh, <laughs> for sale by owners. If you are a for sale by owner, one, know that it's all okay. There's a big stigma against folks that are like, oh, if I do this, all the realtors around me are going to block me. Well, guess what? Those folks around you are probably not the people that anybody else wants representing them anyway. And they're typically people that are mindset of scarcity, not mindset of abundance. Today is almost the 22nd century, folks. You live in a world where it's much easier to sell your property yourself and much easier to buy your property yourself than ever before. Insert echo. Ever before. Ever, ever before. before. Okay, so there's Are nothing... Are you trying to talk us out of a job? I'm not, but I <laughs> want to be fair to the audience here that it is very, very easy to do and totally okay to do this all on your own. If you're someone who enjoys paperwork, if you don't mind business transactions, if you don't mind that kind of stuff, do it. There's nothing wrong with it. And, and to the second point of that, real estate agents a lot of them will help you in that for a reduced commission or compensation. And so let's say you're not a person that is business-minded or or has access to the forms or wants to do it without getting sued by the potential buyer or whatever, and and you just want somebody to handle that, or even you're out of state maybe and you need somebody to, you want to do for sale by owner, but you need somebody boots on ground. There's a lot of real estate agents out there that you can reach and that will do it for you for a couple percent or 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, whatever it is, for however many services you're doing. I mean, it's all, all negotiable and will and can help you fas- just be a facilitator in that sense um, by doing all of the MLS compliant forms for you. I will put in a note to be wary of brokerages that advertise themselves as discount brokerages or online services that say, hey, we get you access to the MLS for a small flat fee. Those things, those companies are can, can be good. They can be. But I've never experienced that in my history of real estate in eight years, in Rachel's history of real estate in as many years, and yep. my dad's history of real estate in 25 years, and any other broker I've talked to, <laughs> anytime we come across okay, you and I are representing buyers, let's say, and we're looking online on the MLS and we see these discount brokerages. We see these 
uh, won't name drop any companies, but these companies that say, hey, you can pay a flat fee to get on the MLS so that you have access to more buyers. What it what happens typically in those transactions if we even get to yes. a transaction point? Well, typically it has a very minuscule commission amount listed, right? Which does not incentivize very many agents to really sell that home. Sure. They will show it. We are legally bound to show anything offering compensation of a dollar or more, but I'm not going to put my heart and soul into really convincing you that this is an awesome investment if I'm only <laughs> going to get paid a tiny bit and it's not even hardly worth my time. So there's you know? some commission so issues there. So there is commission issues. What about the MLS and contract and how it looks online and the photos? And you have to... <laughs> oh, the photos are typically very horrible because typically they are cell phone photos and the room is dark and it might look like a hoarder lives there because nobody has taken the time to properly market this property for you. Right. As a seller... We don't anticipate or expect you to know how to market your own property. You don't know who to hire to do the right photos. Mm. And it might be the best looking photo you've ever taken of a room. But when it comes to the online presence, you can tell. It, yeah. un, non-professional photos show up like a blaring light. <laughs> it's like painful. All of you have scrolled through Zillow or Compass or Redfin mm -hmm. online pictures of homes and seen pictures that are all professional and then you get to one that's not and you can immediately recognize it. Yes, so. you can. And even if you think you're a great photographer, our real estate professional photographers are so skilled in capturing the natural light and capturing the room and showing it in its best capacity. Mm -hmm. If you are considering selling your own house, please hire, hire, a, hire professional a professional photographer. photographer. <laughs> if you're not going to hire a broker to represent you, at least hire a professional photographer right, right. to represent you <laughs> online. The other thing that a lot of buyers agents um, are instructed to do through these services, through these companies is to reach out to the seller directly to negotiate. Mm -hmm. So that seller has zero representation, right? You have nobody watching your back to make sure you're not setting your up, yourself up for a future lawsuit, right? Because even though it might be easy to facilitate a lot of the terms of a transaction, it can be easy to negotiate certain types of repairs, depending on who the buyer is and what your house needs. There's a lot of things that at the end of the day, we're like, well, that wasn't so bad. That wasn't so hard. Mm -hmm. But when the problems come, when stuff hits the fan, it hits <laughs> hard. And you are setting yourself up for a whole lot of future post-sale pain if you don't have somebody licensed and able to protect you with their license from future lawsuits. There are a lot of on the MLS every day on our MLS side as, as real, estate, real estate agents, as brokers, we see how many fines and uh, things have happened across just our state every single day and for, for whatever reason or another. And in the same vein, we all carry error, errors and emissions insurance and other types of things like that that will help under our designated broker or the firm that will help offset a lot of that. These other companies that you're saving money um, to use to do that, do not. They either don't carry any at all because they're not actually licensed brokers or they're paying subscription fees to the MLS and not actually representing you, as you mentioned, Rachel. Mm -hmm. And they're, and so there's a lot of risk involved there uh, that you're losing. And so I, I say, do be if you're comfortable, again, if you're comfortable with the business side of it, do it yourself. It's absolutely, should be no problem. 
I would say and either do no it all stigma. yourself and put a sign in your yard and do a yeah, little for sale no by owner on Zillow and it. call that it. Or hire an agent to just do the, yes. at least the portions of it that you should that everybody should use. Now, from a buyer's perspective, looking for the for sale by owner, there are you know Facebook Marketplace and other websites now that you can look online, which is essentially a, a owners group MLS. It's a multiple listing service that is for for sale by owners, and those can be wonderful as well. But remember that it's very state specific, and the rules and regulations that govern a private owner selling their property are not the same that govern a licensed broker representing a seller selling that property. For instance, when it comes to the sale between Rachel and I, we're representing a client, the seller is required by law to sell out uh, to fill out a seller disclosure form, which may have things on it like, yes, this basement has leaked before. Oh, this had black mold in it two years ago, and I, I mitigated this, or I did not, or whatever. You know, there's all of these things that are required um, that are under our license, and, and we require the sellers to do to protect the buyers that are no longer there in a for sale by owner capacity when you are, are as a buyer looking for these. So be wary of that. And the last thing I'll end that with, if this doesn't help you, in 2021, the average sale of a home for a for sale by owner person, and, and, and I say this because a lot of for sale by owners, I hear, oh, we're doing this to cut the real estate agents out. It'll save us on the commission. I get it. 6%, which is a, a, a typically what I hear, a standard uh, commission or compensation, 3% to the buyer's agent, 3% to the listing agent. That's a lot of money, 6% out of the sale of a home. I get that. I understand that. Yeah. And so, again, by all means, go represent yourself if you're capable, if you want to, if you're interested. But I'm a numbers guy. I'm a nerd by nature. And <laughs> across the nation. Did people really save? Money? Yeah, that's, that's always the question, right? And so by and large, let's see, the number is $260,000 was the average home for sale, property for sale by owner, $260,000. And they, and they, out of that came their own payments for professional photographers, um, escrow and title officers, uh, their own forms and filing, uh, deed filing, all of those kinds of things came out of that $260,000 uh, for the seller, using an agent was three hundred and eighteen thousand oh. dollars. Now you think, okay, wait, Tim. You just said two hundred and sixty thousand dollars for sale by owner, three hundred and eighteen thousand by an agent across the nation. Now remember, the agent is paying for those photos. Should be mm-hmm. if, if they're not, come talk to me. Uh, they should be putting up the sign marketing it across the MLS. They're paying for all of those subscription fees for you. Mm-hmm. We across pay social to market media. your home online. Right. All of that stuff is getting out of that, out of the broker's commission on that. Um, the escrow, all of those kinds of things. There's a lot of things that the broker is covering for you. But so you say, Tim, but that doesn't make sense because you're saying they sold it for more, 318000 but how much of that was commission? That's a good point. Let's say it was the full commission, which I'm talking about, 6%. Yeah, let's just say it was 6%. Let's just say, because I, and I say let's just say, because traditionally it's not. Traditionally it's like 5%, 2.5 and 2.5, or even 4, 2 and 2, whatever the case. But I'm just going to, I like Depends to play. Depends on the purchase price and where you're at. Right, right. And so let's just assume it's the high, uh, you know, the a higher standard. You're still selling, once you pay off the, the compensation there, you're still selling your home for two hundred and ninety-eight thousand dollars, 
$298,920. Okay. So that's still almost, what is that? 38, 39, almost 39 grand more on average after that commission to sell to use an agent than to use a broker. And the two biggest reasons for that is one, we do this full time. (laughs) Okay. This is our job, our, our, our industry, our mindset, our game. Oftentimes, for sale by owners, see the Zillow estimate that is abnormally high for marketing purposes. This is a, a, a name drop. Don't use yours estimate. <laughs> use it as a ballpark. Hey, this could be a happy idea. I would love to sell it for that. Okay, but generally, those numbers, and if you read the fine print, they're off by a large, large amount. But typically, for sale by owners are using that because they think Zillow is free. And if something's free, that makes you the product, right? Okay, so if you're using Zestimates to set your baseline as a for sale by owner, then you're you're typically sitting on the market a lot longer than what market value actually is. And it's our job as real estate agents who do this every single day, full time, to know what the market value is doing, to have our pulse in the uh, on the industry and know this. And so, so one, we do this full time. And two... We're financially incentivized to sell it for more, right? Yes. If we're a listing agent and we're getting paid by you and our com- compensation is directly tied to how much we sell your home, we are doing everything in our ability to sell your home the best way possible for the highest amount. Without, Not to undersell it. <laughs> so, no. there's, so it's a it's a win-win. You can't there okay, are there certain cir- circumstances where it makes sense to for sale by owner? to some other party that you already have pre-negotiated or, or whatever, sure. But by and large, numbers don't lie. Nationally speaking, you're making 40 more grand, even if you're paying top dollar compensation by using a broker who, oh, by the way, outside of just financial stuff, is taking that headache off your plate, the emotions out of the sale, all of this stuff they're handling all for you. I am a licensed real estate broker and I've bought and sold multiple properties myself. And I don't represent myself. I use I use other agents or my dad in this case, who's in the industry, to represent because it takes the emotion, the headache, the pain out of it for me. Okay, your so, spouse isn't angry at you at closing day if something went so wrong. So many reasons, and you're making more money. Okay, so that's the the end of the the spiel here. We're gonna go into the next episode, which is buyers specifically and sellers specifically, with closing remarks by Rachel. Well, way to be on the spot there. (laughs) The closing remarks is... Oh, I thought you had a hand up. No, no, I didn't have a... I was just like, yep, no, I'm good. I think we covered this well, and I'm looking forward to segueing into our next topic. So let's let's that be the closing remarks. We will segue in with with this segue then. Is there a difference between a buyer and a seller agent? I had a friend ask me this the other day. Oh, we didn't use an agent... We didn't use a specific agent on our home to list because we didn't want to use a buyer's agent. Is there a difference in Washington State between a listing agent and a buyer's agent in terms of their licensing and or capacity? No. If you're a real estate agent in Washington State, you are licensed to sell, to represent sellers or represent buyers. Right. However, some people do not have experience listing properties and are not an experienced listing agent. Correct. Or they might have 
experience representing a hundred buyers. Right. Or they may be acting as part of a team. They, or they may, may be, be acting as part of a team. The listing agent, the head team of the agent likes to list properties mm-hmm. and they've got ten or twelve other agents underneath them that they call buyers agents. I'm using yes. quotes. You can't see this. I'm using quotes. They're buyers agents yes. in that they are only representing the buyers of that listing agent, which in effect makes it a dual agency relationship, by yes, the way. It does. But they are not licensed buyers agents. They are no. licensed real estate brokers just acting representing buyers in that case. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, so we are great question. ending that to to let you all know that all agents can represent all parties and some have experience doing others and some may be part of a team. So there's other things to look out for uh, and be aware of in that capacity. But we will drill down into those uh, topics and more in our um, next two episodes. So uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. And as <laughs> my kids would say, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Anavivo podcast. We welcome your feedback and ideas. You can learn more about us by simply Googling the word Anavivo. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. I am a licensed real estate broker with Compass Real Estate and a nationwide real estate matchmaker. We consult with you for free, find and vet the right real estate professional that specializes in the area and niche you need, are paid by that professional, and they get clients like yourself who want and need their unique specialty or winning track record. If you or someone you know is in the market to buy or sell real estate anywhere in the U.S., don't simply web search the highest paying advertiser. Let us use our licensed experience to find and vet the real and best professional for you. It costs you nothing but a phone call or email with me and it saved my clients financially and emotionally. I'd be honored to serve and you can reach me direct by email at tim.c.miller at outlook.com. And as always, to God be the glory.